We are two friends trying to gain perspective on the remarkable world around us. I'm Jet Jones. I'm Mackenzie DeMaio. And this is Friends Fascinated. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to review and subscribe. This week, we're going to deep dive into the Bohemian Grove. Before we get started this week, we thought we'd give an update um, just on how things are going for us with the crazy world. Yeah. So I would say things don't feel quite as different this week. This kind of feels like maybe the uh, curve is flattened a little as far as the drastic changes we've been seeing. And we're recording this on April 4th, 2020. So that's where we're at. Because things have been changing on such a daily basis, we find it important to also share the day we are recording this so we don't accidentally say fake news. Yeah. So things have been, uh, I mean... As normal as they can be when you're working from home out. and you're not really paying attention in yes. my case. <laughs> yes, we've had a full like five-day week of working from home. Yeah. I mean, you have gone into work a little bit more little than bit. me, but I was literally Monday through Friday this week at home the whole day. Which I will say is a very weird thing. It is. Like, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm very productive at home, but at the same time it doesn't feel like I'm actually working. Yep. Even though I'm doing work, it just feels like I'm pretending. Yep. In a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I very well went in with the intentions that I was going to get ready to my full extent every single day. And mind you, before work every day, I leave work, leave my house for work at 7.30 a.m. in the morning. I wake up at 5.45 or 6 in the morning. So I have an hour and a half to get ready in the morning. Just kind of like put on my makeup methodically and get dressed and kind of like waddle out the door without too much care in the world. See, I usually pick out my clothes the night before so I don't have to think about it in the morning. And then I usually on a good day get up at 7. (laughs) Yeah. And I usually still shower. And then my hair is almost dry when I'm leaving. Yep. Can't And I've done my makeup and my coffee is like barely done and i'm in a hurry out the door yep to get there at or maybe a little after eight (laughs) and my only like requirements for work besides the work i do is a conference call every morning at 8 30 a.m so i literally it's like what's the point of getting ready for that you know see but i so i have one at eight every day and i know not so a lot of people don't video in but a good amount of people do and ever since we did our episode on Um, where we talked about body language. Yeah, body language and communication. I feel like it is more effective, especially when you're working remotely long term, to have video meetings and give that extra, you know, amount of communication that you can. Since you can't meet with people in person, you're still providing at least that little bit of body language that you can. And I think it can help with communication. Granted, in a stand-up meeting, like, I'm usually just listening. Oh, it it totally does help, especially with, like, the talking over you yeah scenarios and it helps you pay attention because if you're on mute and you're not on video it's really easy to like fidget with things and maybe be more like interested in checking your email and doing other things so it kind of keeps me personally accountable for paying attention when i know i'm on video and i can't go like pick up my cat and play with my cat while i'm listening and i don't know it it just helps me but Mm -hmm. everyone's different yeah i see that for sure and i definitely know Like, I tune in and out of my conference calls if I know it's directly not, like, related to me. So I totally see both sides. But Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, it's a a team-by-team basis and also depends on what company you're at and all that. Oh, definitely. But, yeah, I I get ready in the morning and I would say I'm now, you could say, 
quote unquote, ready for work earlier and yeah. I'm at work earlier. Um, it, it's harder to be late for work when you're uh, at home. <laughs> at home because you're just there and you're ready. You just ready. need to walk over to your computer. And I yeah. will say like my job, it's not like I don't have a strict time I have to be there. So it's not like I'm slacking too bad. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, I'm a little more on time. I have a slightly simpler routine. So yeah, less random stuff comes up. So it is easier to work on like projects and stuff that I've been meaning to get to. The hard part is not everyone else has time to work on them with me, and yep. some of them I need other people's help yeah. or contribution in some way. I see that. So it's definitely a weird time to be working. And the only other difference that I've seen in our, like, day-to-day lives, I guess, is Dakota and I went out today. Um, we were picking up stuff for the house for a project we were working on, and we were going to pop over to Walmart to just pick up a couple things. It wasn't an essential trip, mm-hmm. but I would like to add the caveat that our town isn't like infested with tons of people with coronavirus right now well, so and it's interesting because all of the colleges are now online and so a lot of students moved away yeah so our town isn't even that heavily populated right now yeah so nice. of course we're being strategic about it and we're trying to be smart about our decisions and try to stay safe and not go out and not you know get in large gatherings yeah. or all those things but also like gauging that safetyness for your community members and yourself is kind of something you have to determine for yourself but for us we were going to stop by walmart today just to pick up like i said a couple things that felt we felt like could help us with our like house projects but like weren't it's not Mm -hmm. like we would starve without them or that our house would burn down without these home items it was just like some like paint and like stuff for projects definitely not essential something to fill time basically because we're like homebodies now and um we saw outside of walmart today that there was a line of people and there was a guy standing in front of walmart and the whole entrance was caution taped off so like you Hmm. couldn't get in so of course caution tape is a very eerie it is it makes you feel like something's wrong yeah it's like a murder happened there or something but it was basically just this guy wearing a mask and like walmart vest with like a ipad or like some sort of digital scanner like counting yeah and he was like waving people through but we Mm. it was happening so rarely that i think there was like maybe seven couples of people standing in line waiting to go in in various ages or sexes or whatever and um we didn't even see anybody get waved in while we were like we pulled into the walmart parking lot and like Mm -hmm. parked to like see what the situation was because we didn't understand because we'd never seen Mm -hmm. it being caution taped off before and there being a line what time was it because i'm wondering if walmart started doing the like at risk hours oh that could be it was i think it was around 1 p.m so very like usually it's early in the morning yeah i don't know then so i yeah i haven't seen that and eric went to walmart yesterday and said that wasn't happening yeah so i really don't know it seemed pretty official because like they had little signs made for all their other doors and they only oh. had one door open and that was the one that had a line so we just decided not to go which again you could argue like props to walmart yeah. it kept us who wasn't who didn't we, need to be there we didn't absolutely need to be there yeah we didn't go because we didn't want to stand in who knows how long of a line was just so to get in one question i have with that with the line did they were they trying to get people to stand like six feet apart yeah okay. yeah Interesting. so it seemed longer than it was because it was like i said it was like like five or six groups of people so it was like two by two by two or like one that's person. like 50 feet yeah so they were like pretty far apart in line maybe not 50 but yeah something A like lot. that yeah 
And so that's why it was a turnoff for us because we're like, ugh, like not worth. Stand outside in the not that warm weather. Yeah. And, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. I've stayed put pretty much at home this week besides going into the office for a couple hours. He, I guess, yeah, yesterday, Friday. And so I got, I, I'm a homebody for sure, but I did get a little stir crazy on Thursday because I think I'd been working from home for four days at that point and I don't think I'd gone anywhere Mm -hmm. and so like like I said I'm a homebody I'm good with that but being at home and every day I'd make my coffee and I'd look out the window and be like huh I really need to pick up some of those branches that fell and I need to sweep all the pine needles out of my driveway just like kind of spring cleaning and it'd been bugging me for the last like couple days and so things like that were like okay fine I am going to spend Thursday evening while it's still light out and do some yard work and get some fresh air and get some steps in for the day and so it helped I think to like actually move around and get some fresh air because I'd it's it's not uncommon for me to just not leave the house yeah for a whole day I mean we I mean we hang out with each other the most and we always are either like going out to eat or going Mm -hmm. to like a bar or going to try something new or shopping road tripping on the weekends to a bigger city or just like all sorts of things where right now it's kind of like well you can't really do any of those things yeah well and i kept messaging you this week saying do you want to have a computer, like a video lunch meeting or and something? I'm like, so that no, we can I have out? no makeup on and I'm still in my pajamas. No. And I'm like, what do you mean? I did my makeup. I'm ready. <laughs> no, I'm just going to sit here in my uh, shame and yeah. let this day pass as it is. It's been nice. Like as an introverted person, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed having my space yeah. because like, I don't know. It's pro- I imagine introverted or not when you're in a workspace and we have cubicles, so there's some privacy to it. But it's also like this feeling that everyone hears all your phone calls or yeah, that used to like really give me anxiety when because I used to be on the phone a lot and I used to say very like I felt like I needed a script when I was new. Granted, I started as an intern, so I was very like new in my role. I'd never worked in an office before, but I used to get really nervous. I would actually wait and kind of make my calls when things were louder so that I didn't feel like I was the only person in the whole room talking. Yep. Yeah. And I still do that. And I think my section of the building that I'm in is very, very quiet, Mm -hmm. like notoriously. And so it's really hard. Like there are parts of the job where it does feel like people are listening or there's like someone right over your shoulder who you know is like going to correct you if you like hang up the phone or those sorts of things where – it's like, ooh, you always feel kind of weird. But like at home, it's a little bit like, I got this. I can mm-hmm. say what I want. I mean, at this point, my husband isn't even staying home for work. So it's like I have the whole space to myself and I'm yeah. feeling completely comfortable with what I'm talking about or what mm-hmm. I'm doing. So it's not, like I said, I don't know if that's an introvert or extrovert thing or if it's just a work from home thing. Yeah. That's kind of a bonus for me. <laughs> I, I don't say, miss people. That's for sure. I miss yeah, going out, but miss, it's not yeah, people. having something to do, but not like I love going places and not seeing anyone. Yep. And like we don't really have traffic, but we have a little less traffic, which yeah. is nice. So <laughs> things like that are nice. Very true. Um, I will say I talked to my mom earlier this week and she is very extroverted. Like that is the main difference between her and I. And you could just tell like talking to her that she was just over being holed up in her house and like she doesn't even live in like she lives kind of out in the country anyway so you could tell she's going a little stir crazy and 
she is real tired of not talking to people and not seeing coworkers and having someone to small talk with. And so yeah. it would be a lot harder to be an extrovert right now. Yes, Can't definitely. Really. And Dakota, my husband, is that for sure. Like I can tell um, he actually got a job at the company that we're working at because his internship, because of the virus, and I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes, mm-hmm. but because of the virus, they wanted to limit people in the office. And so that cut back the interns And so he needed some work in the time being. Um, He'll have his internship back when things blow over. But, of course, we all know we don't really know how long this is going to last or not. Yeah. So he got a job at our company as a facilities guy. And so he's been gone every single day to help, like, sanitize things and stuff for the workers. Mm -hmm. So that's been really nice for him to just kind of get out and about and feel like he's doing something or – he recharges by just being around people in general, which is a very extroverted thing. And for me, I'm like, ah, I'm kind of – feeling myself Mm -hmm. in this in this groove yeah of being away from it all so yeah I very much enjoy just like being at home and I get to get up and like make a cup of coffee and take my lunch break with my pets and I usually have a pet in my lap during meetings like some of my coworkers will now ask like oh where's the cat (laughs) (laughs) at least in some of my meetings with like my closer group where they they know me well and stuff so I'm not worried about them seeing my pets walking around and stuff so they'll they'll ask to see my kitties and stuff so it's kind of kind of nice my yeah. favorite co-workers are my pets <laughs> yeah that's been nice for sure having having our little furry friends right next to mm-hmm. us but yeah talking to my mom it made me realize because we live in such a small town that it's hard like it's hard because you see everything on the media and the news and it seems so crazy and chaotic, but, like, in our day-to-day lives, it's hard to feel like that's really happening because, in a lot of ways, it's same old, same old. Mm-hmm. But talking to my mom, she lives in a, I would say, quite a bit bigger city, not too far away. And just hearing her stories about trying to go to Costco and things like that and, I don't know, people reacting much more extremely to just the circumstances and, I don't know, I it makes me really glad to live in a small town. Yeah, for real. And it's hard to gauge, and I think there's probably people who could listen to this podcast who are in bigger cities who cringe at the fact that we're still, like, not necessarily going out unnecessarily, but... We not, don't hide. It's not... Either. It's not... Yeah. It's not like, for example, you were just on a video call with family, mm-hmm. and they were talking about their parks are closed, and for us, yeah. those things aren't strictly... Man- it's just, like, if you need to go to the park and run around with, like... Your spouse and your dog and, like, hang out. Parks aren't closed. Yeah, like, you can be out and about. In fact, I've seen – and it depends on where people live and everything, but I have seen people recommending, like, just because you're in quarantine, that doesn't mean you can't leave your house. You can still go for a walk. You can Mm -hmm. still, in some places, go to a park or things like that. You're just not supposed to be in groups. Yeah. And so I think that's hard for people to remember that – Quarantine doesn't mean you can't leave your house. You're not on house arrest. Yeah. But I can see why it would feel like that. Well, in a bigger city, too. That's true. Where you can't walk down the street without bumping know, into somebody or yeah, being in close walking quarters. Walking off the sidewalk to not exactly. be six feet within. Yeah. But for us, we're like, we don't see people for 100 yards often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't feel as yeah as a high risk. But, of course, we want to protect our elderly mm-hmm. and susceptible folks. Well, and it's hard because one thing that's been on my mind a lot is just the – that I'm worried about our local and small businesses. And so I also want to be going to my favorite coffee shops and supporting them to make sure they're okay during this. And so there's some of that too where it's like, geez, I'm not supposed to go anywhere, but I also feel yep. bad and I want to support these places. Like they're doing takeout only. And so there's minimal contact with things and it's still keeping your distance. But I don't know. It's just – 
more risk. Yep, for sure. So there's a lot. But speaking of which, those extroverts who are looking for group gatherings, (laughs) our episode this week (laughs) on the Bohemian Grove or the Bohemian Club is all about a whole bunch of privileged folks grouping (laughs) up. Trying to get together and (laughs) have a good time. Yep. Yes, this is a topic that... It's been on my list for topic ideas for a long time, and I had to look it up to remind myself what it was, and I believe it was suggested by my brother-in-law, Nick. So, Nick, you gave me a lot of ideas like a year ago, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. If this was not yours, I'm sorry, but it's still a cool one. Uh, But it was brought up a long time ago, and we were looking for something interesting to do, and this just seemed like an interesting and kind of cool topic to talk about well maybe we're gravitating towards things like this because we're like what are cults like what is groups of people like (laughs) like like the good old days a month or two ago (laughs) when you could group together yeah and so kind of looking at this so basically like the short short version of this is that the bohemian grove is a 2700 acre campground in california but it's a restricted campground. It's not just open to anyone. Yeah, so automatically it's like, okay, that's a little bit suspicious. Yep. Um, And so it belongs to a gentleman's club known as the Bohemian Club. Sexist! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and so this has been around for almost 150 years. It was founded, well, their group was founded in 1871. And so um, Bohemian Grove was kind of the place and like the gathering events and things that we want to talk about most but there's a lot to talk about with the club itself too Mm -hmm. um but specifically about the grove is that every year in mid-july they host a two or so week-long encampment and basically they have some of the most prominent men in the world is what it says yeah 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 (laughs) or so they think they are and so i'm sure they pay tons of money to be in this club and they meet regularly anyway but this gathering is about 2500 or so people it's a huge gathering and it's just members it is not even like past members it's not families it is just a bunch of probably kind of old men yep like when looking at the list of notable people it was all like older white men so looking at this club uh it is an all-male club so yes immediately sexist but we do have to remember it's from the 1870s yeah. so it's kind of one of those weird traditions that like nowadays would never stand but it mm-hmm. is the way it is and it's already kind of a secret society so can what are we, we gonna unpack do about that it? for a second sure let's unpack that for a second because like if we're looking at both sides okay okay so i know that the scale if we're looking at male versus female if we have to make it that way um typically females are on like the downward slope right like they're on the they're the people who are we're working towards trying to be considered equals in society and the workplace and Mm -hmm. just in general to men Mm -hmm. just being a man gives you more opportunity and likely better pay yeah but also (laughs) there's a part of me that's like I'd like to start a woman club where no men can Heck come. Yes. <laughs> well, it's so exactly. Oh, so yeah. I could I could see why there's some power behind mm-hmm. and some joy and maybe some things you feel like you could express because you share the same gender identity. Yeah, you have a lot in common. And I will say looking at kind of the reason it started or at least what I could find about the founding of this it actually sounded like a pretty good like wholesome objective Mm -hmm. and I think it very much evolved into something 
different. Um, so basically the group now consists of artists, musicians, and journalists. And then eventually they started letting in businessmen and then politicians and things. But <laughs> yay, the fun ones, politicians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but originally journalists were looking for a group. So they were the regular members. Eventually they included artists and musicians as honorary members. And then quickly they relaxed the rules for membership to permit more financial resources is kind of what they, they talked about. But the original members started the club as basically just an, a way to get together and talk about like the arts and interesting journal or journalism topics together after work. So it started out as just like a thing where, hey, we have common interests. We want a little time before we go home to relax and talk about what we're interested in before we get back to the family or whatever. So I could see why that's like a pretty wholesome interest to start off with. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, I'm, I'm assuming because people were interested in joining, they started including artists and musicians. So kind of the same idea, but then eventually it became businessmen and now Notably, everyone that I've seen that's notable <laughs> is like a politician or yeah. a millionaire or something ridiculous. Mm. So mm. I can't imagine it's as wholesome and, <laughs> you know, philosophical and nice as I imagine it maybe started as. Yeah. For me, so the part that I learned about is some of the history. And so it was founded by Henry, but he went by Harry uh, Edwards and he founded it and started the encampment um, later on in 1872. Um, but he relocated to New York City to further his oh. career. And then the encampment kind of took off <laughs> without him, I guess. Oh, and in 1878, about 100 Bohemian Club members wow. gathered in the Redwoods, like you talked about, mm -hmm. in California to kind of establish this space. Yeah, and if we wanted to just real quick, I'll touch on the fact that they do have two locations. They have a clubhouse in San Francisco, and oh. the Bohemian Grove is in California in the Redwood mm -hmm. Forest. Yeah, and so to paint a picture, like let's say you're from anywhere away from the West Coast, and we're located in Washington State, so we are somewhat familiar with what's going on over here on the East Coast or in California. Like, you are from California, so you yeah. have a, a general idea. Yeah, and I've idea. been to the Redwood Forest, not as a kid, but as an adult, so. See, I haven't been as an adult, but I know we road tripped through all of California mm -hmm. as, like, our family vacation one year, so I have a general oh, okay. idea of what Yeah, and what mine that was landscape, on a road trip, too. Yeah, what that looks like. Um, it's but, not somewhere – I'm sure you can camp, but it's kind of – like, one thing that I think is interesting is that the Redwood Forest is, like, a national park or a state park. So it's interesting that there's almost 3,000 acres that's privately owned. Yeah, seriously. And so it seemed like over the years um, as they got established, and like you said, it sounds like they were going through a transition of artist type to business type, mm -hmm. It you could see it kind of flip on its end over the years where it started out as a place to go camp and it was more free-spirited and it was kind of this open space where people could express themselves mm -hmm. and um yeah did you see anything about their motto it was like yes. no webs here like something about <laughs> not quite well, how does it go um it's weaving spiders come not here yeah and so <laughs> webs I, you know same idea <laughs> well i guess the reason i i was trying to visualize it is when I started to kind of dive into that a little bit more, kind of the psyche behind that mm -hmm. um, motto is that um, they were trying to de deny this like 
one-upsmanship or business mm-hmm. conversations that you have yeah. where you're both meeting together for the common goal of being prosperous mm-hmm. rather than going to one kind of home base to set yourself free mm-hmm. and kind of grow in well, like a spiritual sense rather than a business sense. Yeah, and I would imagine being in especially like the business world, there's got to be, especially if you're high up, there's got to be some instances where you're wondering like does this person actually like me and want to spend time with me or are they trying to oh my gosh get somewhere or further their career or whatever it may be so I think it was partly like look we're not here to make business decisions we're not here to network and connect each other with you know better opportunities we're here to enjoy ourselves and especially like when they first started they were looking like they wanted or I guess we're limiting to people that had artistic talent and interest in the arts. So yep. they were really trying to hone in on like the hobby side maybe if if you want to call it that. And then I think it just evolved for sure. Yeah. But yeah, the my understanding from the motto was that they basically meant like leave your business at the door. Yeah. If you're trying to weave some web, you're not welcome. <laughs> Get out. Yeah. yeah. Um, But you could also see that in a reflection of how they were using the land. So over time, they were just renting the campsite space. Oh, okay. And then eventually it was purchased. And I think that same transition was happening once, you know, on paper. I mean, in today's world, I know some journalists and I know artists and all those people. They're not making a lot of money. I mean, the majority. I mean, I know there's outliers or whatever. People make successful business. It's harder to do, though. Whatever. Yeah. In those fields. But it seems like at the time when businessmen and politicians and kind of those networky types Mm -hmm. joined the club and started kind of like this, let's just call it a privileged frat (laughs) fraternity. I mean, through reading this, I can't help but compare it to like a fraternity or what I've heard of as related to like college secret societies. Yep, exactly. And so it sounds like over time they started, it went from like a commonplace Space to meet over artistic kind of ideologies and growth into literally the opposite of their motto and just mm-hmm. kind of like this businessman networking kind of rich guy club that you had to get an invite to but not only be invited to you also had to be rich enough to pay to get in mm-hmm. to be a part of it and then you could network but then their land also reflected that so as we know redwoods or at least you and i know is that redwoods are like one of if not the i think they are the tallest tree in the world well and if you've ever seen the pictures where like someone carves a hole through it and then a car drives through it yeah that's a redwood yep like they're They're ginormous (laughs) yeah and so basically originally the land um i think it took them quite a few years to purchase more plots and more plots to have the amount of acreage that they have now to stay secret and secluded in that way Mm -hmm. um but one of their controversies was that it started out where they had the land and it was just a place to camp and place to hang out that Mm -hmm. so happened to have redwoods on it that over time turned into a business venture where of course as a lot of like agencies need financial stimulation in order to stay afloat and so they tried to monetize on these beautiful trees that they have on their property typical yeah basically obtain permits to cut down these trees and log them 
and get them out of there for Ugh, that's profit. terrible because those are so rare now yeah and they're so old yeah that's like so sad to think about yeah that's one thing so actually side note it's one of the things that i've thought about doing with my life is being like a christmas tree farmer because i think that's stinking oh. adorable but also like the fact that you would grow a tree for let's say five to ten years just to have someone slice it down and, and like then let if you it don't die sell it, it in goes their to living waste. room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's such a sad I always thought. get way too sad when you go by like Christmas tree farm set up in parking lots or whatever. Either like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or like the days after. And yep. it's like, oh, they're not going to find <laughs> right. a home and they're going to go to waste. Yeah. So, so it sounds like in sad. their case, it was all about permits and they kept trying to obtain permits where they could log more and more on the campground. Mm. And I think it got denied. So at this point, they're not legally allowed to do any more logging on good. their land. Yeah, which is good. It's crazy to think that that can like you can be restricted for what you can do on your own land. But I also think it's a good thing. Yeah. And other than that, as far as like just like overall context, mm-hmm. I guess. From the reading that I did on it, the the feeling that it gave me is, like I said, if you can picture a fraternity of a whole bunch of men who, in this case, it's developed into a whole bunch of privileged people kind mm-hmm. of being the best of the best, rich white men plucked out of our communities, sent to this camp to basically entertain each other and drink beer and I guess they were into like Japanese lanterns and kind of just hanging out so it seems like a place where they chose to get away Mm -hmm. well yeah and that's part of it that we'll get into is they talk a lot about basically that two-week period of encampment is basically to get away from the world and the business setting and all of that which i would imagine is hard to do with technology nowadays whereas back then it was like i'm off the grid bye yeah and i think one of the sad parts that i feel like i'm seeing is that it's kind of like a sellout club to me it's like believe it yeah anybody could be bought to some regard because in some if you think of a business deal where If someone came to your garage sale and you had a rotten banana on a table and someone was like, I'll offer you $10 million for that banana. And you're like, oh, that was just actually going to be my breakfast. But if you really want it, you can have it for $10 million. And like you're the winner of the day because someone bought your old banana (laughs) for $10 million. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I feel like this kind of artsy club got Mm. overrun by these rich guys who kind of just bought it out so that it could still exist but it lost its true essence yeah along the way and and now it just comes off creepy like when and we'll dive a little bit more into some of the nuances of what goes on within the the club itself Mm. but it just like I said, it seems like a sellout kind of fratty campground. Yeah. Well, and my – so I would say there is a lot of draw in it being kind of secretive. Yeah, Which that's I think true. the secretive aspect came later. But it did start out as they were very limited on who they'd allow in. Because originally they wanted people to join that had artistic talent to bring to the group to kind of grow it in that way. And so – One thing I wanted to note is the name. Uh, Apparently, after the Civil War, newspaper writers were known as Bohemians. That was, like, a common term. Oh, that's cool. So, since it was journalists, it makes sense that that's the name they chose. But they formed it for journalists to promote fraternal connections among men who enjoyed the arts. So, it was really centered around the arts. But I think because, like, if I had to guess, 
though that because it was so limited on their criteria for being able to be included it started to seem like a big deal even though just like your analogy it wasn't necessarily anything super exciting but when you say no you can't be a part of it then it becomes interesting seriously kind of like joining the pen 15 club when you're in elementary school have you heard of that no but i've seen a show called pen 15 yeah so that's actually kind of like a lifelong inside joke i guess oh it's something like kind of trickster boys would do in like the elementary school playground where you're at recess and they'll say, do you want to join my club or something like that? And you'd be like, well, yeah. And it's like, oh, it's a secret club. And you're like, okay. And like, what is it called? It's called the Pen 15 Club. And then the only way to get in is to write Pen 15 on your hand. Which looks like penis. Exactly. And so that's the joke is that <laughs> to be in the club, you have to be embarrass yourself by yeah. – uh, but then you're in and you're on the inside and you're part of the inside joke and yeah it's it's but there's nothing exciting on the inside Mm -hmm. and like again we'll get into this more but it seems like basically you get in you feel all important but all you're doing is hanging out with your buds and you're drinking a ton Mm -hmm. and it's fun because you're drunk yep whereas otherwise it's not that interesting and not that fun yep uh but yeah Looking back at the history now, the club includes artists, musicians, and business leaders, as we'd mentioned, but also government officials and former U.S. presidents or just other people in power. Mm -hmm. So members, um, of course, had to be men, but they could invite guests to the Grove. So, and one thing to note with that is that you can, well, members can schedule a private day use event at the Grove when it's not being used, Hmm. but they're very picky about who you can bring. So, um, you can bring a guest occasionally, like in general, but my understanding is if you just bring a guest to maybe an event or something, it does of course have to be a man. Um, but then during the like rented out day use events, they of course can't be They can't conflict with another Grove event, an official one. But during these times, members could bring their spouses, families, and friends. But the creepy, weird thing is that females and minors had to leave by 9 or 10 p.m. Yep. Like, what are you doing after 10, you creeps? (laughs) It just seems so weird. Because in my head, I compare it to there's, like, for example, bars and grills or certain restaurants or even I've seen arcades that transition to more of a bar after, like, 9 Yep. And so minors have to leave because I'm assuming that's when they start serving like hard alcohol or something. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. It follows those guidelines, but it's weird that the women have to leave. (laughs) Yeah. I actually found a little bit more information on just like women as it relates to the Bohemian Grove. Okay. And basically, (laughs) well, if you think about it as an establishment that actually makes money and. I think fraternities technically can't be taxed because they're like really? a yeah. I don't even know what you would call That's it. That's really silly. Yeah, like a nonprofit. Yeah, and so people were arguing that not allowing women to work for them or like be a part of the club was sexist or discrimination mm-hmm. in the workplace because they would hire summer staff. Because obviously a rich white man isn't going to pour his own coffee and make his own well, breakfast. Well, yeah, in the they morning. call it an encampment, but they're not camping in tents. They, of course, have like a very 
fancy facility with yeah. cooks and like maids probably and all like this glamping. stuff it's like a yeah it's a glamorous hotel where you don't have to lift a finger yeah pretty much but in 1978 they were charged with discrimination by the mm. california department of fair employment and housing that's over not its, that long ago though yeah it's because they were refusing to hire women employees yeah not cool but then a couple of years later in January 1981, an administrative law judge issued a decision supporting the practices of the club, Ugh. noting that club members of the Grove urinate <gasps> in the open without the use of rudimentary toilet facilities. Ew. And that the presence of females would alter the club members' uh, behavior. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Just because oh, you whip your we, dick out does not mean you can't hire women because you are Yeah, because you don't want to go to the bathroom indoors. Yeah. In privacy. Just stand behind a tree or something. <laughs> like, that's disgusting. It oh, is, my gosh. It's really gross. Ugh. But Ew. guess what? It went to the Supreme Court of California in 1984. So it didn't last too long. Well, that's ridiculous that it went that far but also like i guess good yeah so basically they were arguing that the freedom of association was being harmed and the court found against the club and denied their review in 1987 forcing the club to begin hiring female workers during all their summer encampments in the grove i will say though as a woman i don't think i'd want to witness the activities that go on there well i also do have this like perspective of fly on the wall like i keep thinking like I would just love to see it so I could talk about it the rest of my life about how yeah. douchey these guys are. It's That's like, true. oh, you know, the president of the United States or whatever. Or I think the names I've seen tied with this the most is like Nixon, mm-hmm. which I don't think he was known for being a stand-up guy anyway. No. <laughs> um, Herbert Hoover was another president that I saw and named a lot. Yeah, but it kind of seems like men's men, kind of jerks, drinking yeah. alcohol, kind of hanging out and I, I guess they put on plays. <laughs> yeah, I think that from what I could tell that's the only artistic thing that they kept was that they would do these plays or ceremonies. But it didn't even include everyone. I mean, granted it's a huge event now, so it couldn't. It includes like maybe a couple hundred people total out of the two and a half thousand people. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. One thing that was interesting about the membership, so And I will say, the history was hard to find because it is secretive. So it's hard to find too much information on any of this. Very true. But one thing that was weird and interesting is that after 40 years of membership, you can earn something called old guard status, which there are some other prerequisites to that. But basically, you just have to be in the club for 40 years. so long. That's so that Long. club would have to be so awesome to keep seriously me going back. yeah yeah and so basically the only bonus or like perk of getting this status that i could find was that it, you get reserved seating at the daily talks Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. which i will say <laughs> do they really meet daily because that's excessive i mean i guess if your only purpose was to go to a club meeting for a week or two weeks in yeah. the summer well, no, every day it's meeting every day would make sense I guess I don't know if these talks were only at the camp event in the summer or if it's like, I guess that would make more sense. Yeah. But I, I understood Who it knows? as being just at the club in general. At 40 years, you're probably pretty committed it's to this probably club. like your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. One thing to note, though. So Herbert Hoover, former U.S. president, he earned this status 20 years after his time in office. So he was president while in this club, which... 
It's weird to think that our president's taking two weeks off to go drink in the woods. Yeah. Granted, he was president a long time ago, but still. Um, in one of his acceptance, or I think in his acceptance speech of this status, he compared the honor to his role as veteran counselor to later presidents. Like, he's literally comparing this <sighs> name in a club to mentoring presidents of like the country. Those are the people who, like, leave high school and they're like, Oh, I was vice president of the secretary I club was in prom high school. Queen, er, prom king, and I will just never forget that day. It was I the best such day of my whole life. Influence and leader to my peers <laughs> that they voted me their champion. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. There's notable people who have mm-hmm. earned their right through education and grit to get where they are, but. I just, it all seems so skeezy. Oh, totally. Rich people all grouping together to talk about how rich they are and meet other rich Mm -hmm. people to build each other up in society and use whatever resources they can deplete of the land at this location and call it what you will with, like, meetings and entertainment and, like, rituals or whatever they're doing. It's just, like, to me, after time, like, just after reading over this over time i could see that it just there was no substance beyond just people horsing around and building each other up mm-hmm. in their egos over the weeks go on that go on absolutely which is so when i was doing research and just learning about this the the main thing that i was comparing it to in my mind was so i've seen all of gilmore girls and there is Same. an episode or a couple episodes where when Rory's in college at Yale, she – so she is a journalist or she's going to school to be a journalist. And so she decides to do what she's hoping is like an expose on this secret society called the Life and Death Brigade. And so she either gets invited to or kind of – I think she gets an invitation somehow. Yeah. Well, because her the boy boyfriend – I don't think boyfriend. they were dating. Well, anyway, well, that's not important. <laughs> yeah, they were. But they were trying to. They, be yeah, they were girlfriend. interested in each other. But she goes to this like overnight thing where I mean, in a lot of ways, I could see why it would be based off this, where they like go out into the woods and they actually do camp in tents. And I mean, I want to say people were drinking a lot and yeah. stuff. I mean, it's yep. college party. And then the next day, they all get super dressed up and reenact this thing. I, I don't know, this event or ceremony or whatever. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. But that's what I kept comparing this to was just this group of people who decide they're a super fancy secret group and most of the people in it are rich anyway or and they're privileged and have this like predetermined way in based on their parents being in the club and all this and nothing really happens but it's fun and exciting and secretive because you're drunk and it's a secret so therefore it's fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. It's crazy. And I think, so some of the structure within this club and, like, during their events is there's, like, people called camp valets who are Mm. responsible for the operations of individual camps. So as we talked about, this is a really, really big campground. Like, I think it's thousands of acres of land. Mm -hmm. And um, it's broken down um, basically into camps. And then they name them... And they're kind of individually managed. And then they all kind of conjugate together for those rituals or performances or whatever. Okay. Um, (laughs) But I thought that was kind of funny. They have um, lists of names of some of these permanent camps within the 
the campground or the grove. And it's the hillbillies, <laughs> the Mandalay camp, the caveman camp, Stoneway, Uplifters, the Owl's Nest, the Hideaway, Isle of Aves, Lost Angels. I wonder where they're from. <laughs> uh, the Silverado Squatters. They're my favorite. Oh, my. <laughs> the Semper Virens, the Hillside, and the Idlewild. Interesting. So, Those are so different from each other. Yeah. And I guess they each have... Like, each of those camps have their own captain, and they have oh. their own jobs. And so you talked about the people who had been in the club for 40 years, get they, like, um, the seating that's, like, prioritized that these rituals or performances that yeah. they have um, within the club. But um, I think they also get the privilege of not maintaining the camps oh that makes sense so they're kind of just like <laughs> well you can imagine how old is a person that who would well, be yeah. in the club they're at least 60. for 40 years they would have to be yeah like 60 years old so it's like okay give them a break maybe they don't have to like don't start the, the fire men. for you in the yeah. morning or whatever oh geez and again it's pretty secretive so we don't know for sure exactly what it looks like to be at the bohemian grove in 2020 or yeah maybe Compared they're not gathering this year but yeah exactly Exactly. Who knows what that Ooh, actually That is looks a good like. point. Are they going to gather this year? Probably. They sound like troublemakers. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so the only other thing I had related to kind of the history um, was, so kind of the rule that we touched on was that you're supposed to keep business at the door. You're not supposed to do business deals or anything once you're in the club or having club meetings or in the event or anything. And so it sounds like as large groups, people were pretty good about following this, but it's pretty known that people like in smaller groups or pairs do not tend to follow this. And so basically there are lots of theories about business deals and things that you know, maybe have been made during these events and things. And so the most famous one that's speculated is the Manhattan Project planning. Um, they think it was done at one of these meetings or summer events. And so that's the development of the first nuclear weapon. Ooh. So serious stuff. Yeah, that is extremely serious. Yeah. And so I guess we've seen that go back and forth and when um nick your brother-in-law suggested this as a possible topic i think um a lot of people like him or maybe even my husband was familiar with this bohemian grove group mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of controversies and like theories tied with what's going on within the bohemian grove and it's kind of hard to measure ba for example let's say i don't know trump was in the group wouldn't like, surprise me <laughs> you would associate him with maybe an agenda of building a wall let's just say <laughs> i don't know getting and, supporters yeah so the controversy would be oh since trump goes to the bohemian grove he's trying to network there to try to get like a plot in place to mm -hmm. work with these other privileged rich people with you know authority over certain regulations or voting mm -hmm. or influence to get him what he wants and i'm not well, saying that's just a fake example of yeah. how people could assume there's more controversies involved within this camp than there actually mm -hmm. is and that has a lot to do with like the secrets that are being kept well and even to build off that fake example 
even if so for example you follow the rules and you keep business at the door and you don't talk about work or anything like that within the club or these meetings you're still building friendships and Mm -hmm. so then maybe you do want to build a wall you go oh i have this buddy from the bohemian club who specializes in building walls yeah and you know you're still building those connections even if it's not outright networking yeah so it's pretty spooky business yeah so one thing that's interesting when researching this is that there was a surprisingly large section on just the security of this area so like we've said it's close to 3,000 acres. It's huge. They have sophisticated security teams working year-round, even though a lot of times there's no one on these grounds. They're still... That's so sus. Isn't it? It's so weird. It's very weird. And so they, like, they notably employ ex-military personnel to secure this area, Hmm. even when people aren't on it. And so they have equipment like thermal and night vision cameras, motion detectors, vibration sensing alarm systems. Like... It seems like a lot of effort for some guys goofing off in the woods once a year. Yeah. I guess I'm going back and forth in my head because I listened to an interview with Michelle Obama. And this was like within the last year she was talking to Oprah. And she was kind of talking about how even with her and her daughters, like mm-hmm. they still use the Secret Service to this day. Yeah. Or like high security. I think security. it's like a lifelong thing. Once yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they use high security for those sorts of things. So I can imagine if ex-presidents or old presidents or whatever are tied in with this this place, they're trying to keep it super duper Mm -hmm. duper duper safe so that they feel comfortable enough to come in year after year. Yeah, that's a good point. And so they do definitely employ extra security during times when members are on site, especially at their annual encampment events. And so this includes the local sheriff's office, highway patrol, and sometimes Secret Service are there, depending on who's there and what the needs are. But one thing that was interesting is that as of 2019, the county board informed the club that they would no longer provide law enforcement. So Hmm. the county had enough. They said, you know what? we don't need to secure your little parties. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, as of this past year, they are no longer providing, I'm assuming that is the local sheriff's office and the highway patrol. So they basically have to hire their own. Yeah, because if you think of it as police officers and security are are there for as a public service to Mm -hmm. taxpayers, if you're creating an environment that exceeds the reality and resources that those public servants have in their communities to the fact where they're having to drive out and babysit you because Mm -hmm. you have a club yeah you should probably pay your own way to get some security measures yeah it doesn't make sense and so i i supported that decision yeah (laughs) so um looking at even though they have so much high security, um, there have been a couple notable infiltrations of the events. So in 1980, there was a guy named Rick Kloger, and he entered the event with the help of an employee and posed as an employee for two of the weekends during the encampment to try and Mm. get some information. Uh, In 1989, uh, a spy magazine writer, Philip Wise, spent seven days posing as a guest, and he was eventually discovered and arrested for trespassing. What? People get arrested over this. <laughs> That's so douchey. I agree. Whatever. And then in um, the year 2000, a journalist and author named John Ronson and his cameraman snuck in and shot footage of the cremation of care ceremony, which I'll touch on later. Um, he was discovered and... Uh, he described it as an overgrown frat party, which 
is exactly what I'd expect. Yeah. And then um, the last notable infiltration was in 2002. Richard McCaslin was arrested after infiltrating and setting several fires. Oh, well, yeah, that'd do it. He was heavily armed and wearing a skull mask and outfit with phantom patriot written on his chest yikes actually but no yeah, one was present at the time oh, he's just doing his thing just causing chaos yeah, he snuck in no one was there but he was setting fires and he was all dressed up and he was for some reason making a statement yeah i imagine a kid who's like daydreaming that they're in a mosh pit and they're just beating themselves up all day like just like causing chaos in their own lives yeah that just like is good for nothing quite literally yeah so very weird stuff goes down here and people clearly have been a little bit driven crazy by the idea of this yeah there's some i could see it with like this elitism of Mm -hmm. the secretive group that infiltrating it and destroying it would Mm -hmm. seem like maybe a good um an emo response <laughs> to well, what's going on. And I'm sure there's a long list of people who didn't get in and aren't very happy oh, about yeah, it. True. So there's got to be people who are trying to maybe set up situations to out whatever the activities are or Well, I think I read rumors that it would cost like 25000 to $75,000 a year to be a member i don't know about that i didn't see any specific numbers about membership but um so i'll touch on some of the events they have but specifically at their events each year they have the grove play which is performed for one night during the final weekend of the summer encampment and it's a large-scale theatrical production written and composed by club members involving some 300 people Uh, and the first play was in 1902 and in 1975, an observer estimated that the play must have cost between twenty and $30,000. And if you adjust that for inflation, that is almost $150,000 in today's dollars yeah. for a one-night play that's a secret with a bunch of old like, men. meme in my head of all these old white men standing on stage Literally. singing that like meme of like, hello, my baby, hello, <laughs> my darling, hello, my... Singing it to other men. Yeah. Yep. That's... Like- Yes. Uh, yeah, so it seems pretty intense. And they have a lot of symbolism around these events and stuff that, again, it's just like things that they basically made up and have made a tradition, which I guess is maybe all traditions, but still. Um, the club's patron saint is John of Nepomuk. And he, according to legend, suffered death at the hand of a bohemian monarch Ooh. rather than disclose a confessional secret of the queen. So Sounds like a commendable man. Yes. So basically he kept a good secret. So therefore he is the symbol of this club. You know, if, I feel like if your standards for choosing friends or like club members is like their secret keeping. Yeah. Like abilities. Like why you do you are want, sus. Yeah. Like, why do you want people in your life that can keep such good many, secrets? Yeah. How many secrets how do you, do you trust have? those friends? Exactly. It's, it's weird. It's weird. But yeah, there is a large wood carving of St. John in cleric robes with his index finger over his lips at the shore of the Ew, lake in the grove. I symbolizing don't like the it. secrecy kept by the grove attendees throughout the long history. Well, duh. That's exactly why people don't like it. Yeah. Yep. Another important symbol, and this one I think is more notable. Um, so since the founding of the club, the Bohemian Grove mascot has been an owl, symbolizing wisdom. A 30-foot hollow owl statue made of concrete stands at the head of the lake at the grove. And I have seen pictures of this, and it is really creepy and gigantic, and they basically worship this owl. I hate it. And the most notable, uh, like, 
ceremony they have is the cremation of care which started out kind of as one of their plays it's as a theatrical production that some of the club members put on and so it was first conducted in 1881 and it served as a catharsis for pent-up high spirits (laughs) and has been compared to exercising of demons to ensure the success of the ensuing two weeks it takes place Mm. in front of the owl shrine and basically it was described as these men basically sacrificing their cares for the next two weeks and basically all formally agreeing to not give a crap about anything yep so my brain instantly swirls to it's all going to be a big sexual fest of creepyhood <laughs> like not yeah. saying anything against yeah like whatever do your gay thing. things like yeah. if that's what you want to express then so be it but it just like there's something secretive about it but also kind of like this like celebrating freeing your inhibitions in a very formalized Mm -hmm. way that just seems like what are your secrets what are you hiding what do you need to get rid of so bad how much do you need to like drop to like become something yes for two weeks while you're in the woods like that's just strange it is and i would say if you're that stressed out, don't wait two, till two weeks of your entire year to stop being stressed and caring yeah, about things. Seriously. <sighs> yeah. So that's pretty much all the information I had. It seems like, I mean, we keep saying it, but like a very fraternity vibe <laughs> type event where you get all your bros together mm-hmm. and it's a big secret and you feel very proud, even though it's just something you kind of made up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very weird thing to me. It's secretive yet inspiring in some ways because just an insight into me and Mackenzie, we met in college and Mackenzie lived pretty close to Greek Row and (laughs) we both, of course, going to college at the University of Idaho that has a very active Greek life. Mm -hmm. We had heard... Either you're in it or you're not. Those are the types of people. (laughs) We were very much not in it. We never even considered it. At all. But... We did hear stories, and you live to places called, like, I think they're called away houses or something, where it's the sorority or fraternity, but it's not at the actual building. It's oh, at, yeah. like, a off-site apartment or, like, rental house where those sorority or fraternity members join. Yeah. And we, we... heard rituals. We saw <laughs> bonfires. I met someone who talked about cloaks and candles and rituals i just saw ping pong on the roof one time (laughs) but like yeah we lived the building we were in didn't really have any sorority or fraternity people that we knew of it was mainly like non-traditional students but the building below us like it was clearly all kids that wanted to live as close as possible these fraternities and sororities (laughs) without actually living in them yeah and so there was a big field between some of the frat houses and they'd be walking back and forth and Like, weekends, especially, like, the week before school started and then weekends after big test weeks and then spring break, all kinds of stuff. Things, like, I – you know what? Yeah, I called noise complaints because I couldn't sleep and it was 2 in the morning and I was tired of hearing people cheering and music and knowing that it was just, like, stupid people being drunk playing beer pong on the roof. Yeah. So, I guess, for us, this has sparked more of an interest Mm -hmm. in – how these like kind of privileged secret societies of rituals and upliftment and free Mm -hmm. inhibitions lead to these privileged lives of secrecy and 
abundance. And yeah. so, I don't know. So for us, this is definitely something we want to pursue. We don't know mm-hmm. how yet. We were talking ideas. <laughs> Some more extreme than others. Yes. <laughs> Including sneaking into a frat party, but who knows? And like We've getting like... we never been to one. Yeah, doing like an expose on like mm-hmm. what's going on. Or we're maybe debatably re- young enough to get away with it. Yeah. Still pretty close. We're yeah. young 20s. <laughs> yeah. I've known plenty of people that were in the Greek system Um, No one I'm super close to, and so I haven't heard any crazy stories, but I'm definitely interested in learning more. But everyone that I know, like, they treat it like they really do call it, like, you know, it's your sisters, it's a sisterhood kind of thing. So weird. Yeah. And it is just, like, it's just such a crucial time in your life where you build those friendships at a lot of pivot points in your life. So I can see why it would build a strong bond. Oh, absolutely. But I can't wrap my head around it yeah it gets dicey when we talk like rituals and yes. like chants and like yeah practices well, i some guess of the things that like the initiation events like even like some of them aren't even that secretive but just like i don't know it's weird <laughs> i've seen compilation videos of sorority girl oh. like song introductions so for example if they're trying to get someone to pledge I think is what it's called. And mm-hmm. they have like newbies come up to their front door and all the sorority members gather around the front door and they do some like, I would relate it somewhere between a hybrid of like a campfire song and like a cheerleading squad. Oh. And they basically like do some like uniform, very uniform, <laughs> like claps like, and snaps and oh, like geez. poems or like chants about their sorority or what's going on in there in hopes that theirs mm-hmm. is the coolest so they can win and like i think there's been compilations on youtube where they like zoom in on like a sorority girl in the back whose like eyes are all buggy and you feel like, like this is insane yeah like something's <laughs> going on in there that you don't know about but yeah and know. of course all my experiences like everyone i've known has good experiences i haven't known yeah. anyone to have too crazy of stories but i haven't really asked either but of course, you see the the movies of, you know, rushing, kids go, yeah, and rushing and going to college, and like the one that comes to mind right now is um, Sydney White, where she like rushes the sorority that her mom was in, and basically is like bullied for a couple weeks until they don't let her in and they embarrass her in front of everyone in this big hmm. ceremony, and then she ends up joining like this geek house. Oh, she, yeah, I've seen that. That's such a good it's movie. It's a cute movie. It's, it just went on Netflix Bynes. recently. Yes, it is. Yeah, so it's that's it, got to be like 10 years old now. Yeah. It's, it's cute, but it like is. that's kind of what I think of where it's like you're not doing anything so terrible that like you'd probably get in trouble, but also There's a you are bullying people and you are very much like proving your kind of dominance and your popularity and that you've earned your rank in this society and I don't know. There's just a lot to it. Point being, we hope that through this podcast, you learned about something new, just like us, the Bohemian Grove. Very interesting, very secretive. But also, it's opened up some doors with, like, these rituals and maybe mm-hmm. cult-like experiences. Yes, and we want to know more. Yes. So, yes. look forward to that in our future episodes. I'm looking forward to doing some, like, deep dives into things that we might have more access to yeah. the secrets of. Or, like, because we're in the age range where we know people who are a lot of previous members or <laughs> alumni where maybe yes. they would be a little bit more candid with what happened they're not at risk of getting kicked out or yeah. anything yeah. so we'll see yeah so we promise to be open-minded because <laughs> 
we had strong opinions about yeah. this, partly <laughs> we because kind of we couldn't find anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems so creepy. Yeah. So, yes, we will be open-minded, and I'm curious to learn more. Yep. Well, as always, we are not experts. We are just fascinated. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear us again next week, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have information to add to this week's topic, you can email us at friendsfascinated at gmail.com. We can't wait to blow your mind with more curiosities next week. You've just listened to another episode of Friends Fascinated. Thanks for listening. <laughs>